We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. On today's episode of Green with Envy, the Bulls look ready to blow it up. Should Brad Stevens make a call about Alex Caruso? Let's check in on the bench. How are we feeling about the bench 11 games into the season? And of course, go grab your sunglasses. It's in-season tournament Friday. All that and more coming up next here on Green with Envy. What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to another edition of Green with Envy. And man, it feels good to be back on the mic. As always, it's your boy Will Weir checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me today, as always, to complete the holy triumvirate that is the three-man weave. First up, we have my best friend, co-host, and the coach of our podcast, the one and only Greg Benakis. What's going on, my G? I'm good, man. I'm good. Ready to talk ball. Let's get it going. And of course, to round it out here, we have our podcasting cousin from across the pond, the leader of the Taylor gang, the one and only Adam Taylor. What's popping, Adam? What's popping? Now I'm good, man. I'm good living life. How's it going now? Y'all. See, it's I can't good, even try. Can't hey, even... It's all good. I tried to you give you sounded like pop- Jackie Chan in Rush Hour. Wow. <laughs> 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 y'all. 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 You understand it's, the words that are coming out y'all. of my mouth. Y'all. Y'all, <laughs> what's this? Camel's hump. Camel's hump. <laughs> Jelly Eel was in number two, right? I fucking love Rush Hour. I was going to say, real quick, can we do a quick ranking of the Rush Hour movies? I think it's pretty oh, simple, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page. Two, one, three. Adam, any disagreement? No, two, one, three works for me. Okay. I, that, that feels like one of the few trilogies that it's it's just cemented in stone like it's it's almost impossible to have a different ranking than two one three if you have a different ranking than two one three i i think we need to look at you as if you're you know drinking strawberry milk with adam on the couch or something yeah there's That's nothing wrong with strawberry milk stop coming <laughs> for me i'll tell you another one that i've got two one three the friday movies so friday after next is number one no, sorry. Next Friday is number one. Friday is number two. Friday after next is number three. I don't know if y'all have seen that's, that. That's a hot take. That's a hot, I, I think that's pretty equivalent, though, to like the Austin Powers movies. I think most people would probably go just one, two, three with Austin Powers, but I personally would go two, no. one, three. I'll go yeah, two, I, one, three. I, 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 I go Powers. two, one, three. I think, I, think, I think two, one, three is the more popular opinion with, with Austin Powers. It, ha, number two has Felicity Shagwell. She shags well by name and shags very well by name. <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe, I feel like, maybe it's because I was obsessed with Liz Hurley. I don't know. 
Probably. You did have a big thing for Liz Hurley back in the day, but I think two was the one that like, for me, that felt like one of the first, like I was of age blockbusters that everyone watched, like regardless, you know, whether you were at the time when we came out, we might've been, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that range. And like also people that were, you know, older were like, everyone watched that movie. Like no matter where you went, like people saw that movie like that was such a big hit i I think two i I would say two one three for that one as well would be the popular one to your point there could be some debate and you'd you'd entertain it rush hour there's there is no entertaining the debate it's right and friday friday i think it's for me personally it's one two three for friday two's good i I think two yeah two's good so i i think i'm i think i'm with you of course you're the same fucking brain but like i i think one two i think one two three is how i would go but part of it's just because one is so iconic. Like I think there's yeah. a chance two actually might be better knowledge. than one, but one is so iconic that I think it kind of supersedes it. Right, but then in one you have Smokey, and two you have Mike Epps, right? So it's Chris Tucker, hey, Mike Epps. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. Smokey's yeah, probably but- the most iconic character in Friday, right? So that's why I think you got to yeah, go with one over two. Like, if, okay, so I think number two for me is more quotable than number one. So everyone who follows me on social media knows for a while I had a dickhead neighbor, right? Like she was just, there was some activities going on that I was not pleased about. Remember we're recording now, Adam. That's fine. <laughs> I'm not using names. And I, every time she used to pull up, I, my, me and the wife used to be like, day, day, that crazy bitch back again. <laughs> so like, it was just a quote we used a bunch, right? But then I use, um, from number one where the dad was driving and he needs to shit cause he's at too much hot sauce. And he's like, get the fuck out of my face. Taylor. So I use that. Is it, isn't that's, that's one. I thought that was two. Is that number two? I think, yeah, that, okay. I think that's two, two when he pulls yeah, yeah. over. So yeah. that, this is what I'm getting at. It's more quotable. Do you get what I'm saying? Like I quote more from number two. I think that's probably why I hold it in a higher regard. This is. This, I feel like we're gonna have to put a poll out on this one. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll put a poll out on this for those. And, then, we'll, and we'll, then we'll put a poll: chocolate milk, uh, regular. Right, we gotta milk, move off the milk. We gotta move off the milk. milk. <laughs> Yo, you're just hating, man, because I weren't down on the chocolate milk train. Okay, it's okay. I get it. I get it. Hey, you know who's offended by that, Adam? At, at, one and only Al Horford. He's the he was the sponsor of chocolate milk. <laughs> who's who's strawberry milk sponsor? Me? Yeah, go. I got I got I got to roll with Al Horford on that one. I'm sorry, Adam. Love you, guy. But I'm going to I'm going to roll with Al Horford on the on the sponsorship of the milks here. But no, for real, it's really good to be back with you guys here. I've been off for week week plus here. Uh traveling, dealing with a little bit of COVID. Finally came and got your boy here. But we're back. We're feeling good. And so let's talk some hoop here. And I, I think one topic that we've talked about kind of in our group chat, you know, we had a little meeting the other day. This came up feels like a, a relevant topic right now is I want to talk about the Celtics bench, but also potential ways that the, the bench can be influenced here. And, and it might be a matter of timing. So as we're recording this, you know, multiple reports have, have been starting to kind of trickle their way out that the Bulls are a few losses away from maybe just blowing this whole thing, up. which to be honest, I feel like we all have seen that coming since the middle of the offseason, since maybe last year. You know, they had one good month with a healthy Lonzo ball, and it's not really been great since. So reports are they're looking to potentially blow it up. Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, all of them on the table. None of them, they don't really concern the Celtics directly. However, a guy that could concern the Celtics directly, and I know it has been the apple of the eye of, of not only just some of the hosts on this show, but Celtics fans in general, would be one Alex Caruso. So let's start here. 
And then we can also work the Celtics benches because I think that's an important part of, of this discussion. But let's start with with Alex Caruso. And, and Greg, I'll go to you here because I know this is your guy. So I, I feel like it's not even a question that if Alex Caruso is available, your answer is going to say, go get me Alex Caruso, correct? Absolutely. I mean, when you already have Drew Holiday and Derek White, and we've seen what they can do as a defensive pairing in the backcourt, if you add Alex Caruso to that mix and you now have arguably three of the top five point of attack defenders in basketball at the guard position, I think you kind of got to do it. And I think Caruso, although he's not going to solve any like shooting issues off the bench, um, you know, there, there's also you know something to be said about insurance because right now, if you know Drew Holiday goes down, I think we can we can figure out a way to survive, right? If Derek White goes down, we can figure out a way to survive. If you have Caruso, you kind of just plug him in to one of those spots, and defensively, you don't miss a beat. There's an argument to be made that he's the best of the three defenders. I personally think it's Holiday, but there are a lot of people that think Caruso is like one of the best of like maybe the the best wing defender in basketball and he can guard up a little bit as well like he, he'll guard kevin durant he'll guard people like that because he's so handsy on defense and i just think you know especially with that new press that we're throwing out there with the full court press i think he would thrive in that you see a lot of drew holiday playing free safety on defense these days where like they're just letting him roam and just wreak havoc like him and caruso just the defensive iq that would be on the court would be insane so um, although he does look like Elmer Fudd and Elmer Fudd wasn't a, a big member of the Space Jam squad, uh, I think I think Alex Caruso would be a great addition to this team. I like Alex Caruso. So while you were talking, and I like the Elmer Fudd reference too, while you were talking, I went on to one of my favorite NBA websites for stats. I don't know if you guys have ever used it. Dunksandfreeze.com. No? Okay. Not familiar. So, Shout out to them though. Free publicity. Yeah, I mean, they got. I learned about them through Zach Lowe, so it's not like we're giving them anything they haven't already got. Okay, elsewhere. so they've gotten better publicity. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so here it is, right? So it all operates in estimated plus minus, which is a player impact metric that basically goes from minus eight, bad, to plus eight, ridiculous. You can get it in offense, defense, and then an overall EPM. Defensively, Caruso is literally a top six guy every season for the last four years. He was in the 96th percentile for defense while he was with the Lakers. Then he went to the 99th, then to the 94th. Last season, he was 100th percentile, so he was one of the best defensive guards. Obviously, this is done by position. This year, we're not there yet. We don't have the sample size. But if you look at the graph, just where he is, this this little dotted line here is your average, right? So this is kind of... And then, obviously, you have like players above it, how high up they went, and blah, blah, blah. His trended up every year for the last few years, had a bit of a dip, and then he went straight back up to like the best defensive season he ever had while playing on arguably one of the worst constructed teams in the East. Not talent-wise, but construction-wise, right? I think that Caruso is that type of guy, as Greg said, you can plug in. Plug in and play, but more importantly, I feel like he's the type of guy that will thrive being around stars that take a bit of pressure off him. He's never going to have been on a team as defensively sound as what Boston is, where he isn't the only defensive point of attack guy. He isn't the only guy that's anchoring a defense. He's just part of a bigger machine. Mm -hmm. And I think that that could take him to another level again. 
Like, I, I, in, just in terms of defense, offensively, the touches just won't be there really for him the way they are in Chicago. But yeah. defensively, I think that it, well, I, it could bring the best out. We of keep him. talking about defense, and I think that's probably the thing as we're talking this through right now on air is like with Caruso, we are leaning into defense, right? We're saying this is going to be the identity of this team. And we've kind of seen that throughout the first uh, few games of the season is the defensive potential of this team is special. It's a very special defensive identity. And that's something that Missoula got a lot of heat for last year is that Missoula ball just focused so heavily on offense and we didn't have a defensive identity despite having talented defensive players. So if we want to win a championship and we're, you know, weighing the pros and cons of adding somebody at the deadline and should it be an offensive minded player versus a defensive minded player. If you bring in Caruso, you are saying our defensive identity is what makes us special, right? We have all the talent in the world on offense, but adding Caruso, every single team would look at the Celtics and be like, that's the best defensive team in basketball. So I can't disagree with anything that you guys are saying. I like Caruso as well. So I'm not even going to try and go down, you know, down that road. But I do want to try and look at this from a, from a different perspective. And so, you know, one, there's the offensive perspective, which I think we'll get to to here in a second. But, Greg, when you were talking, you mentioned, you know, right now, if Holiday goes down, we can probably get by, right? You have White, you have JB, you have you have different ways that, that you can kind of plug and play that. Of course, Caruso, you just don't miss a beat. You're right back to, you know, kind of where, where this team is now. That for me, you know, you're you're doubling, maybe even tripling down on a strength by bringing in Alex Caruso. And I think for me, especially when I look at the Celtics, you know, from a from an asset standpoint, they don't have a lot of moves left, right? So I think after they after the Bucks made their move, one of the things that you could look at them and say is, okay, cool, that's your last move. They have zero moves left to make the Celtics. This is part of what people loved about the Drew Holiday move is. They still have assets. They still have first-round picks. They still have second-round picks. What they don't have is a lot of salary to really go out in trades of guys that you're going to feel comfortable sending out. So if you're making this move, because Caruso is certainly in the range of guys where you can you can put together Pritchard, even with the new deal, and you know it's kind of that in-between state. You can still put together Pritchard, one, two more guys, boom, you're there. You know, or even if you somehow you know took Pritchard away and say you're trying to get to nine, ten million, you can still put together three, four guys, get to that money, and get out. But then that's really basically your last move because one thing you have to remember that if they are to make this move after the season so after this trade deadline basically their ability to aggregate any type of salaries together for any move is is done because they're going to be a second tax apron team starting next year so that's over with so this is the last time that you can actually pile together multiple of those small salaries without going ahead and trading al horford or trading Derek white and going to get somebody so I just think you have to be very strategic. I'm not saying Caruso's not that guy, but to the point of plugging and playing, like to me, I think you have to take a stronger look as rather than doubling or tripling on a strength, where can you fortify what you envision could be a potential weakness? And for me, I think that's where, you know, with Caruso, I think this early in the season, I would say I would not do that trade. Then again, this might be your only chance to do it, depending on how quickly the Bulls break this up. But I think if I'm the Celtics, I would prefer to even look at a short-term deal that maybe fortifies the front court a little bit more. Because to your point, Greg, if Holiday goes down, not great, but I feel like we can sustain. If Chris Stapps or Al Horford goes down, which is probably more likely given you know the just the setup of, of Chris Stapps' history, Al's age, you know, if one of them goes down, 
I feel way less better about this team being able to survive in big series that are going to feature Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Bam Adebayo, Nikola mm-hmm. Jokic, when you get further and further down the line. So for me, that would be my biggest hesitation in going the Caruso route versus and to be honest, it's pretty bleak. I've looked at I've looked at the names. That, well, that, that's what I, that's million. what I was gonna say. Is like Caruso's available, right? That's why we're talking about right. Caruso. He's he's on the market. You have to go try and force some big man trade that like maybe might not exist. That might that's, not exist. Right. That's the and, counterpoint. And Caruso will play. You put Caruso on the Celtics, he'll get twenty minutes a game. You bring in a third big, you're just getting depth. I don't necessarily know that they're going to actually be in the rotation. Caruso, right. for as long as the Celtics are playing basketball this season, Alex Caruso is going to be in the rotation. You trade for a third big and that's your last move. You're really just saying, oh, this is insurance in case Horford or Kristaps goes down, right? But the, you, might, you might not actually have a guy as talented as Caruso who could earn minutes in the normal rotation. That, that would be my pushback on that. I think the only thing I'd kind of do there is... Okay, so say that Stevens is like Caruso's nice and that, but we're kind of we're stacked at the guard position. We're happy with the the rotation we've got. Pritchard starting to figure things out again, hitting his shots. You know, he's providing impact. If we want a big, do we wait and see what deals the Bulls make, and then see what? Because big people, there's going to be centers involved in these trades most likely. Because they see who shakes loose that way. Who does Chicago get that they mm-hmm. don't really want? And then what can we do to get them for cheaper than what we would have got them originally? You know, you don't know who's going to end up being sent there. If the Lakers trade for um, for Levine, who are they sending out? Is there somebody that could come in that is more of a four that, but can slide up and play some small ball five that could earn some minutes that isn't young enough that Chicago are going to want to keep hold of? And there's a few teams around the league that could end up put, putting trade packages together for someone from Chicago that might shake somebody loose. I'm not sure who, though, because any, as Greg said, any impactful big is probably signed up and staying exactly where they are. Well, this is the biggest point, like just around just looking at like the salaries that even in like, you know, removing any, you know, young players that fit in that eight to ten million dollar range. It's a grim list of names, right? Like Alice Caruso is probably the name that you're going to look at. And like, just in a vacuum, this is easily the best player at that. You know, even if they, even if they all became available minus those rookies, you know, like he's going to be the guy that, that is going to be the most talented to your point, have a chance in the rotation. But I, like I said, I think you do have to be careful because it is basically your last move that you're making. But I think in a vacuum, there's no way that it's not Alice Caruso. But I think with that, I, I think that also is a good time for us to transition a little bit and we can mix this in here to kind of assess where we're at with this bench, right? Because it, it started off the first three games. Oh my God, no one on the bench is good. I think that's kind of calmed down a little bit, but there are still certainly some questions when it comes to the Celtics bench. So let's take our first break here real quick and then we'll come back and let's 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 dig into where we're at with this bench. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, 
the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. So we're talking about the Celtics bench here, you know, 11 games into the season. And I think this is an appropriate time to talk about the bench, especially coming off, you know, that's that Philly win on Wednesday night, which by the way, Adam Noah did a great job recapping. So if you're listening to us on YouTube, scroll down, you can go ahead and take a look at that. Or if you're on the feed, go ahead and scroll back. We got that set up for you as well. Uh, but I think that game was was really important because even though the bench guys jumped into starters, Mince, I don't know if you want to look at it differently. You know, I'm, those are still your your bench players, but no JB, no KP, you know, Sam Hauser and Al Horford jump back into the starting lineup. And when you look at this bench, you know, I think Sam Hauser so far, he's been just as expected or maybe even exceed expectations in the, you know, throughout this first sample. And then you start looking at Horford, Pritchard, Cornette. Those have been kind of the main guys that we're looking at on the bench here. And, you know, let me let me ask you this here. Let's, let's start with Adam. You know, I, I look at kind of what we have right now from these bench players. And Horford, despite making those four threes last game, still shooting sub 30% from three. Pritchard, 33-23 shooting splits from the field and, and from three. If those guys are just shooting better from three, do we just feel better about everything that going on with the Celtics bench? I mean, kind of, but kind of not as well, right? Like one of my biggest concerns is having somebody there that's going to be able to do more than just score. Everybody knows who listens to the show how I'm not a fan of single skill guys. Don't really see the value in them in the postseason. Horford is definitely not a single skill guy. Pritchard is proving that he can create a little bit. He's I really when he drives the lane and gets under the rim and then does what's called gnashing, so he dribbles under the rim and back out. He's creating good looks for others, especially off of secondary cuts. Um, Hauser is a quintessential three and D guy at this point. I don't think anybody can argue that Hauser is a three and D wing. I feel quite confident. I, again, I think I'm not as confident in Cornet as what I am in Pritchard in. Hauser in Horford. I feel like Pritchard can hold his own defensively as much as any smaller guard can. Like we're not gonna he's not gonna be a high level defender, but he's a passable defender. You you feel comfortable if he's switched on to somebody, he's gonna fight and give everything he's got to stay in front of his guy. I think the only concern I've got is at that big position. And then if you need like forward depth, wing depth, but in the front court, right? Front court wing depth, I'm not very comfortable there at all. Outside of Sam Hauser, I've got no comfort level there. Um, so I think that the top three guys in that bench rotation are fine. It's everybody that falls after those three guys, like your insurance guys. That's where my concerns are. 
Well, that's where, you know, you talk about the the front court depth there. I think that's where Hauser's kind of impressed me the most is because he's big and he is a passable defender to good defender at this point with Hauser's ability to move his feet. He's also a willing rebounder. Um, he's normally in the right spot and just using his length on defense because he is 6'8", 6'9", right? Sam Hauser's not a 6'6 shooting guard. He's a big kid. So I think that's what I've actually been really impressed with, with Hauser's ability to stand up in switches against bigger people um he's been able to navigate screens better than i thought i think he takes a lot of what he's able to do well on offense and is able to translate it uh onto the defensive end and i think you know the more that we take advantage of the skill sets that they excel in as well and that's a missoula thing you see me tweeting all the time weaponize sam hauser i think that if you have sam hauser on the court he can't just be standing in the corner shooting three-pointers. I think that's a very good skill to have. That's what Grant Williams could do last year, but Sam Hauser is such a more versatile shooter than Grant Williams is, right? You can have him coming off pin downs, double staggers, like all this stuff, run some floppy for him. There's so many things that you can do with Sam Hauser. You can also weaponize Sam Hauser as a screener, and that's something that I want to see a lot more out of Sam Hauser is screening to cause havoc because you do not want to leave him if he's the screener screener in an action, there's going to be a lot of confusion and people are going to be freaking out. Um, you know, if he runs a ghost screen into a flare, right? If they run something like that, that's going to be a big problem for some teams as they try to communicate and navigate those screens. So I think that before we make or feel like we need to make a move for Caruso, even though I would love to have Caruso on the team, you know, there are ways that we can take what we already have on the bench and just utilize it in a more effective way, a more intentional way. So mm -hmm. it's not just, hey, give the ball to Tatum, let him do everything, and then you just play off of him. Like, let's try and do what other teams do with their bench players, which is why, like, the Heat, you see the Heat, man, like the way that they weaponize Heat Duncan back, Robinson. They're looking good. The, the, the way that they weaponize Duncan Robinson, there's no reason why the Celtics can't do that with Sam Hauser. Yeah, Duncan Robinson last night coming off the bounce, hitting hitting guys, going through the lane last night, looking like a different Duncan Robinson. But uh, yeah, I mean, to the point of of the Celtics bench right now, I think Greg, your your last point there is where for me making a move, I think it's too early. You know, I know this, like I said, depend. You never know how long that window's open to get a guy like Alex Caruso. So if it is actually open which, you know, we haven't seen the fire sale start in Chicago yet, but you kind of have to be ready to make that quick call, even if it is too early. So you have to be kind of preparing for it. But I think for me right now, I feel pretty confident in at least that top three, like you said, Adam. You know, the Horford, I, the three-point shot, I, I think it, you know Noah started to go down this route the other day, which I think maybe we could talk about here for a second. You know, did Al, who, who just does tend to play pretty well, you know, he, I, I think he showed why he's going to be still super important for this team in big moments, you know, in that game. That was the quintessential. Hey, don't forget or ever think about writing off Al Horford for this season. In big moments, this is going to be games where he's going to have impact like this and where he might even be more valuable than Chris Stapps in small select circumstances because of, of, of what he can do. But you and Noah started talking about, you know, does Al need to maybe get more of a feel? Maybe that's what made him so comfortable. Because we, we forget, right? Al's been in the league, what, 17 years? Some whatever crazy number it is. This is the first time he's ever come off the bench in his entire career. Certainly wasn't doing it in Florida when he was winning championships either. So within the last 20 years, this is the first time this man's ever come off the bench. And so to not expect there to be some hiccups into figuring out, you know, like you mentioned, Adam, the other day, like, 
you have to kind of not just be game ready at tip off, but be be limber, right? There's a difference to being hyped up and ready to jump into action versus staying limber and then seven minutes into the game, then you're trying to get yourself into that rhythm and motion. So, you know, I think with Al, it's just like some bumps that you're going to expect with him, you know, making this transition. And so from those top three, I think I feel really comfortable that I wouldn't feel the need to to make a move right now. And, and, you know, even a guy like Luke, I thought Luke played pretty well the other night against Philadelphia. So, you know, from a bench perspective, I think it's something that because the season has been such a great start and obviously the top five are just insane with the plus minds, anything you look at with that top five, it's just, you know, it's, it's hard not to text your friends that aren't Celtics fans and that aren't Celtics fans and say, guys, have you seen our start in five? It's mm-hmm. pretty fucking terrifying. And they can't help but agree because that's just what it is. Well, can I, I just push back yeah, on something in. real quick or just ask a clarifying question? So you said you feel comfortable with the top three. Right now, you're comfortable with Peyton Pritchard? I'm comfortable giving him more leeway, like giving him more of a chance. Not necessarily like if this is if this is the definitive Peyton Pritchard we're getting. No, I'm not comfortable with that. But I, I do like that, you know, right now he's getting 20 minutes a game. Right. He talked a lot about I, I just want to like find my role and whatever my role is and, and exceed in that role, be a star in that role. It's the famous, you know, Brad Stevens saying. And Missoula's given him that chance. You know, I, I like that there's credit that, you know, I think it could be utilized differently, as you talked about. There's different ways to go about it. So you can accent, accentuate everybody's strengths with whatever that lineup is that's on the court. But he's getting a chance. And I, I think with Peyton Pritchard, with him getting that new deal, with, you know, if there's a move to be made either this year or even next year, because he's going to be that one salary that goes from four to eight million, like Peyton Pritchard has to be able to showcase something. So I think for multiple reasons, he has to be a guy that's allowed this opportunity. So I'm comfortable with him having the opportunity. I think we start having this conversation 10, 15 games from now, or maybe, you know, January, mid-January, and it's looking like this, then it's a lot more, all right, what if we threw in, you know, a protected first in two seconds? Maybe we have that Caruso conversation again. I'm much more leaning down that road. But I think for right now, I'm comfortable with the opportunity. I think I wanted to point out as well that we've seen Pritchard be better than this before. That's also We've seen him make a bigger impact and, as Will said, like we're still only what are we eleven games into the season? I, I think we're out of small sample size and into just sample size. We we have yeah. a sample. Like this is a sample size. It's not just small. It's a sample. It's full sample. It's a good sample. Like we've got a sample now, but at the same time, there's a lot of other players in the NBA right now that have started the season in a slump. Across the league, there are players that are usually a lot better than what they are, and everybody's willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to figure it out by the time they hit 15, 20 games in the season. Pritchard has already started to figure things out to a little extent. Like he's not as bad as he was at the very start of this season. And I'm willing to give him until we get to that 20, 25 game mark before I run the, like come to a definitive opinion of, yo, they got to bounce this dude because if you need him in the playoffs, it's a problem or no, we're completely fine with him. I think that 11 games is just too quick to um, make a decision like that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think my question is just more like with Will's phrasing of being comfortable with the with the top three on the bench. I just wanted to clarify on that. And then with Pritchard, I agree. Like I, I do think that he deserves this opportunity, and I think he's shown himself to be such an elite shooter in the past that we can look at these numbers as a shooting slump, as, as Adam was talking about. He's in a slump right now, mm-hmm. and he's trying to shoot himself out of it. But he need, like if we're halfway through the season, if it's trade deadline and Peyton Pritchard just like can't find his shot, 
you you can't just say, hey, Peyton Pritchard's going to figure it out. Well, he had 40 games yeah. figured out and he didn't figure it out. Yeah, it's so, done. Yeah. So like, that's the big thing with Pritchard. And this is the thing that I keep saying, you know, everyone on, on Twitter, that's like Pritchard's doing all the, the, all the little things on the court. And I agree. I like that Peyton Pritchard is, is, is a dog as Drew Holiday calls him and he gets offensive rebounds and he can fight on a switch and he can dig into a big man's legs. If, if he, if he has to, um, you know, stop a rolling big down the paint, but there's, you know, Peyton Pritchard's on the court to shoot the ball. And if he can't figure out his shot this year, then unfortunately the stakes are too high. Right for the Celtics to be like, oh, we're we're going to be okay with Peyton Pritchard. The, the goal is to win a championship. If Peyton Pritchard is not helping you get to that. If he's not going to definitively be in your playoff rotation, you need to go get a guy like a Caruso who would one hundred percent be in mm-hmm. the playoff rotation. But I'm I'm cool waiting on that to to figure it out with Pritchard because I I do believe in him. I really like him as a player. So, question: Do you think that Caruso is still available by the time we get to February? Probably. Uh, to be Chicago. That's I, the I, question, right? Yeah, I mean that, that's why I say you got you got to be the getting you got to start asking these questions now, right? Mm-hmm. Because you got to if you're Brad Stevens, you know, or however, you know, as if I know how the fucking GM whispers make this happen, but you know, as they're they got their little ravens out there that are you know getting them the little whispers back, like hey, it's time, like we got to make our offer, like you got to be ready to do so. I mean, but that I mean the Bulls team, and we'll, we'll see the Bulls here when we talk about the in season tournament that's coming up here. Uh, when we talk about that here in a little bit, you know, like they're on the edge of of, of breaking this up as they should. Like they need a full teardown. Like that's the one thing the Bulls can't do here is is like kind of put one foot in and maybe trade one guy. It's like they need a full teardown to go ahead and, and rebuild whatever it is they're trying to do. So you know, I I think you got to be prepared. I I would be shocked if this played out till February. Uh, but then again, Caruso could be the guy that they hold on to the latest, just because I think he could get a really interesting bidding war. He can kind of be what I thought Rob Williams might be for the Blazers. If he were able to stay healthy, where mm-hmm. you're going to have a bunch of contenders that can get to that, you know, nine, 10, $11 million. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, here's two first round picks that you're probably not going to get right now. But if you hold on a little bit more to the deadline, create a bidding war that could happen. So there is a world where I think there that he could still be available in February. One last Caruso question, because I do really want to hear about your experience at TD Garden at the first ever NBA in-season tournament game, Will. Um, Think about how we got Drew Holiday, right? And when we got Drew Holiday, one of the biggest things in getting Drew Holiday was that we were also keeping him away from a team like Miami, right? So if Alex Caruso... Which, by the way, that's the first team I thought about for, for a contender going to get Caruso. It's like, this feels like the most Miami move of all time. Right. So if Caruso were to go to a Milwaukee Bucks, if Caruso were to go to a Miami Heat, you know, is that cost of Caruso going there worth giving up on Pritchard early, you know, and yeah. putting those picks? Because if you get Caruso, the Heat are like, God damn it. They got Drew Holiday and Alex Caruso, two guys that would have solidified our our hopes of another title run. The Bucks need a point of attack defender. The Bucks are not good right now. Everyone's saying they're going to figure it out. The Bucks are not good at basketball right now. They do not look good at all. So like they need an Alex Caruso. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what they have to offer. I don't know everyone's pick status. Um, but I do think that's the other thing to consider is if we get Alex Caruso, is it worth getting him to keep him away mm-hmm. from the other guys in the East? No, I think that's a good point. That's a, that's a like I said, that was a massive part of that true holiday deal that, you know, doesn't that goes within the context of that trade, it's not written down anywhere in any ledger, but that is a massive part of that. Uh, let's take one more break here. And then uh, guys, it's, it's in season tournament Friday. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? 
It's coming up next. All right, so it is in-season tournament Friday, and you know for that, I got a little special treat for you guys. Anytime we talk about the in-season tournament going forward... In season, oh wait, damn it! Had it on loop, had it on loop, had it on loop. Almost nailed it, almost nailed what it. What is this music? For that. It's the in season tournament, man. Can you not feel it? Oh my god! I'm all. This is this is what happens, man. The NBA, they got me, man. Get get me in the building for one in season tournament game, and I'm in. Wait, from is that on. actual NBA sponsored music? For what? For the tournament, or is that just some loop you found? For the in season tournament. Yeah, that's it, baby. Yeah, they sent it to me, you know, privately. They were like, man, we knew that you were you weren't against it. You were a borderline skeptic. And wow. now you're you're all in. Get more in-season <laughs> intensity. And they sent me they sent me the theme music. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. So let's go, baby. Let's go. In-season tournament. Um Greg, as you mentioned, I was there in person for the first in-season tournament game for the Celtics, which by the way. There we go. We can't we can't do it all the time here, but that will be moving forward here on in-season tournament recording days. That will be the theme music that we have. Uh, yeah, it's fun. It's a fun time, man. Listen, in-season tournament. I, I'm not ready to to jump on the Greg. These are going to be big games bandwagon yet, but I'm I'm there with everything else. Listen, it's fun. It's getting conversation going. I will tell you this: when I was home, I had three to four different you know kind of casual NBA fans come up to me and that was like one of the first things like can you explain the in-season tournament to me so it's generating conversation at the very least the nba is doing a good job now as far as people beyond asking the question of can you explain it are they actually getting hooked into it i think that's another level to it but uh i do got to say it is fun having this and of course you know I, I have a question for you guys the intensity that we see in the timberwolves and the war in the golden state warriors Coming out in fisticuffs. Do you think that's all brought about because of the in-season tournament? I mean, I asked this on Twitter, right? And everybody's answer was no. <laughs> like, and I'm like, no, I think it is a little bit. I get it. There's a little bit of animosity between the two teams after the, they played each other a few days before. There was some chirping. Obviously, the Timberwolves are really, really good to begin the season. The Warriors are sliding. I'm all team Draymond in terms of, yo, Rudy deserved that shit. Um, <laughs> um, I'm kind of there where I'm like, I think that we are seeing more, more intensity because everybody, there's a 500K prize pool, man. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how much money you make. 500K is 500K. And I think all of these guys want to win that. Being the first team to ever win that as well and creating that little bit of history. I think that carries a little bit of weight for guys that, you know, care about legacy. So, yeah, man, I think that we are seeing a little bit more intensity, but I don't believe that that's why Draymond Green decided to go full <laughs> Anderson Silva. Yeah, there's there's some great threads about the history of Draymond Green and Rudy Gobert out there on the, on the interweb, so I recommend you check those out. I mean, you know my thoughts on this, Will. I think this is great for the NBA. I was actually out in Austin, Texas, at a bar watching the NBA in season tournament 
And I was at, I was out at a bar, 34 years old, out there living my life. <laughs> and this one guy comes up next to me, and we just chopping it up about the game. And then I'm like, so are, are you watching this because it's a tournament? I just asked him, and he was like, oh, what's the in-season tournament? And I was like, what do you think of this court? And he was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I kind of explained <laughs> to him what was going on, and I sold him on it. You know, I was able, yeah. I, I had my elevator pitch ready by the end of it. He was, he was like, so when, when did these games? I was like, Tuesdays and Fridays, bro. Just tune in <laughs> Tuesdays and Fridays to the NBA in season tournament. One of us has got to do the fishes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I'm so in on this and, you know, I consume a lot of basketball podcasts as well. And it seems like even the bigger names that were kind of anti-tournament are starting to come around to it because it's just fun. It's it is different. fun. I can't deny that. It's, it's fun. fun even- and it's different, man. And that's all that matters. Even if the even if the final four isn't quite as exciting as we want it to be, even if it's not the best teams that are in the final four, they're gonna be in Las Vegas. It's gonna be a vibe. We've been to summer league games. Summer league games are just naturally competitive. I know it's guys trying to make their mark, but with everybody tuning into it and with all the discourse surrounding the tournament right now, those games are gonna mean something. I can so- I can pretty definitively say that so one of the funny things right now so so we're recording this friday morning celtics will play the raptors in uh in pool play tonight on friday night uh the raptors are the only team yet to play a game this is actually their, their first in-season tournament feels like the in-season tournament's been going on for you know three weeks the raptors somehow still have not played on a tuesday or friday this month so this will be their their first tournament game celtics one and oh technically uh, in the pole position here in Group C, uh, yeah, I, I think there's some definitely some. I, I'm in on the fun. I think there's some tweaks that they can make to make it just a little bit more accessible. Because I think you know the second question I got from someone I was explaining it to is, "Oh my god, dude, okay, like I'm, I'm kind of into this. I'm, I'm going to the well. We, so this was on a Saturday. They're like, okay, I'm kind of into this. So the Celtics were playing the Raptors behind me. They were like, so is this a tournament game? I was like, no, but they're in our pool. Okay, so so next time we play them, that. Just look for the court. That will be it. Okay, okay, I'm going to the game on Monday. Is Monday going to be a tournament game? Mm-hmm. No, not 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 a tournament game. But but if they play on a Tuesday or a Friday, it's a tournament game. So I think there's some ways that they can make it uh, a little bit more accessible. That is just <laughs> people don't understand. It only falls on two days out of the week. I don't get that. People who well, the whole thing is for for casual fans that want to get more into it on like in October or November as opposed to waiting till after the Super Bowl or whatever. Like, I think for those fans who are like into basketball and they're kind of keeping an eye on it, but you want to maybe pull their eyes a little bit more. Like, I think just making it the month of November, you know what I mean? Or making it something that's just, that's just like, like, you're right. Is Tuesday and Friday a massive barrier of entry? No, but what do we do with every decision we make on the podcast? What's the least barrier of entry that we can do for someone to watch or consume our stuff is you make it less rules. You make it less clips. You make it less things you have to think about before going into it and just being like, okay, I got to check in today. You know, there, there might've been some pool games last night. Let me check what happened, where the standings at. Like, I think there's ways to, to do this, you know, especially where you're playing the same teams in the same time frame, but only certain games count, like just make it that month and just play those four teams, make it those eight to 10 games or whatever. Like, I think there's ways to do it, but I, I, I see it more. I'm seeing it more and more with each passing pool game the the vision here of the in season tournament. I, I want to ask you guys though, because the you know I, I was there in, in the court. I'll be honest. The, some some of the courts work. Some of the courts I 
Adam, you said this one time, as long as it doesn't distract me from the basketball, I'm happy. I'll be honest. Some of them do distract from the basketball. I think some of them are that glaringly bad, especially on TV, like some of the bright red and bright blue. Yeah. Like I do think that distracts from the basketball. And I think that's an issue that they need to need to figure out. The Celtics one, it, it was just weird not seeing the parquet in person because it felt like the only time you ever go to the garden and you don't see the parquet, and even then you you probably still would see it, but it would be if you go see a Harlem Globetrotter game or like a big three type event, you might see something different. So it, it was a little bit different. You eventually adjust to it because the Celtics court isn't terrible. But what are your guys' thoughts on on, on the court so far? So I know that's a big topic. I think it's ridiculous that people care about the courts. It's fun. Like, like I, I, I don't understand all the people that you don't are, think you don't think the bright blue and bright red ones are distracting. Not really, man. I'm just watching. I the totally game. do, but like, I mean that, but that that's okay that you find it distracting. It's okay that I don't find it distracting. Do you I not think. care about the colorblind community, Greg? <laughs> I'm colorblind. Well, apparently there's been a, there's been a lot of reports. Colorblind people struggle to watch these games with the with the different colors. Okay, I, I never considered. I just watched the orange ball. As long as the orange ball is moving, I can figure the rest of the shit out. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I I just like don't get the just the overall conversation around the courts being so controversial. Even like the 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 garden not being the parquet. Like, yeah, I get the historical implications mm -hmm. of that or whatever. But I'm just like. I don't fucking care, man. It's just, it's just a game. Like just enjoy the fucking game. <laughs> like that's, that's where I'm at with it. I just think it's fun. So like yeah. any conversation that we have around it, I'm just like, it's fun. Just accept it. Enjoy it. Why does it have to be controversial? <laughs> like I get, I get the courts not being pleasant to the eye and it could be distracting to some people. I personally don't care. Adam, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't care. I like them. Like make all games with different courts. I want jazzy courts. I want nineties courts, eighties courts. Like, I that, like sounds, it. I, that sounds so awful to me. <laughs> yeah, you see, for me, it's more about like the tournament has a bit of a personality to it now because of these courts. It's more than just giving it a name. Right? Oh, this game is for a sure. season tournament game. No, this game is. It's on Which, a by the way, is still one of the funniest things that that's what they walked away from all meetings with. All right, what should we call the in-season tournament? Should we just go with in-season in -season tournament? tournament? Done. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Yeah, like, <laughs> the worst marketing meeting of all time but like the courts make sense to me it's easily defined you you what you tune into a game with a funky court it's an in-season tournament game you know what i mean some might be a bit ugly but i feel like a lot of people are just bitching to bitch or they don't really like the change because they're very accustomed to watching games with standard courts i personally like it i've always liked when courts are a little bit more jazzy anyway i've I'm down. I'd be happy if they made a playoff courts edition and all the courts in the playoffs were different. I'd be fine with that too. I'd like it if we started having tally charts on the court. So when it's a playoff series, there's tally charts for how many times a player got dunked on. Or, you know, <laughs> changes everything. I thought, I thought you were saying telecharts. I was like, I got to ask Adam, what the fuck's a telechart? Tally, <laughs> tally charts. I got, tally what you're chart. I got what you're saying here. Yeah, I don't know. I'm the old man yelling at the yelling at the clouds here. Listen, I, I like that it's different. I think I do think some of them are distracting. I'll I'll stay on on a uh, on my corner with that particular one, but I do think this is fun. Uh, I think it is fun bringing this back up, and I think as we get to these next couple of Tuesdays and Fridays, and you know when the end season tournament hits. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
you, you can't help but just have some fun with it. So that, that, that's what I think we need to walk away from this with. In-season tournament, we're having fun. You should be having fun. Enjoy it. Celtics, Raptors, Friday night, it's going down. We'll keep you up to date with all the pool play coming up with our future episodes. But uh, and you guys, I think we've hit on everything we want to today. And you guys, and you guys got something else that, that we, didn't, we didn't touch on today that you want to jump into before we sign off? Are we saving you meeting Mike Gorman for next pod? We can talk about that right now. Yeah, I mean, no, so, no, no, let's say let's save it for next spot. We'll save it. Okay, okay. We'll yeah. we'll, we'll save the the meeting with the uh, with, with the legend. Tease it. Give here. me a good tease. Give me a good tease. Next episode, we'll dive into myself meeting the legend of Dorchester himself, Mike Gorman. Me, the boys, Mike Gorman. It's a tale that you do not want to miss. So make sure you're tuned in and locked in with us here on Green with Envy. I'm Will Weir. We got Greg Manakis. We got Adam Taylor. As always, when the three-man weave unites, it is a special, special day. Greg, any final thoughts before we uh, we send the people out? I just like don't want my music to have to compete with the new in-season tournament music. So I don't even want to like talk about the music that might play right now. Um, but I'm going to play some music for my band down here in Austin, Texas. We have a big show uh, tomorrow here in Austin. Will, I know you're sick. I'm assuming D- you won't D- be D- there. DBD. We're going to try and test negative twice. If we do that, there's a chance we'll be there, but we got to, we got to play it by ear. TBD cool. on the injury report. So my parents are going to be in town, which is great. It's going to be the first time they'll have uh, seen my band black sheep optimist play live. So very excited about that. Yep. We're playing at this place called Factory on 5th Street as part of the Austin Studio Tour, which is a citywide event where there's just art galleries around the city and people can come through and support local artists. Um, We're going to be in the back at Factory on 5th Street at 4.30 Central Time. Um, And it's going to be dope, man. I can't wait for it. It's going to be fun. We're going to have some video clips we can share afterwards? Oh, definitely. Yeah, we'll we'll have some video. Stay We're locked not one in. on a Ferris wheel, right? We're not going on Ferris wheels. No, no Ferris wheels. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Green with Envy. Greg, did you decide what we're going to hear on the way out? Uh, Yeah, we're going to hear Black Sheep Optimist get this high. Peace, everybody. Peace. Every time I get this high, I lose my mind. It don't take much no more. Until I hit the floor. It don't take much no more Until I'm at your door You cut me to my core, baby what can I say? You got me on the floor, you know I came to play. I know I shouldn't, but you seem to take my pain away. And every time I score, Jason Tatum fade away. I close my eyes and I'm floating in your river.